You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Elisa. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. How about you? Are you staying warm? Do you have lights? Do you have electricity? I guess you wouldn't uh, be able to record if, if that weren't true, huh? <laughs> yeah, that not a not a problem here. We're not Texas. Oh, that's so. good. Yeah, my yeah. my heart goes out Poor to Texas me. though. I oh, yeah, the news coming from there is just awful. Yeah, I hope I hope they that's get their electric. They're used and, to. There's well, I think it's something that they're not used to though. I think that's part of the problem is they're they're not yeah, set that's, up. Yeah, that's what I just said. They're oh, not used to yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So. From what last I heard that they got most of the people have their power back, but now the issue is clean water. Yep, and damage. You know, I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of pictures yeah. from – so they didn't have electricity, so they couldn't see what was happening. And now that the lights are on, oh, my gosh. I think I think some of them are wish, wishing that they never turn the lights on because there's just so much damage yeah. and water leaking. And and that just – oh, that, yeah. that really – that's kind of triggering for me because, you know, we went through all of that those issues with our kitchen not once but twice. Water is just yeah. – Man, it just it goes everywhere. It's awful. So, so my heart goes out to Texas. I I hope everybody gets their gets their lives back in order as soon as possible. Yeah. So, um, yeah. we have a list. We have we have a list of stuff we to do. talk about today. It's been a while. I think <laughs> we kind of got ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. Um, so I wanted to start out today. We're we're basically going to be talking about some troubleshooting and some tips and you know our experiences with how to solve some of these problems, how to get around some of this stuff, and um, some security information. Just, I think it'd be helpful for listeners. You know, these the, if they hear it from us and they, they think, wow, you know, my gosh, I, I don't feel so bad if, if, you know, they're struggling with it. Um, it does it does really bother me at times when, when I struggle with stuff and I think to myself, okay, I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool, I can handle it, it's my jam. I don't get really upset about it, but what I do get upset about is thinking about when when problems can't be solved right away. I think to myself, how in the world would somebody else do it? You know, I'm not going to say, you know, your grandmother or my mother because I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody because, you know, I'm a mom and I can do it. But just anybody who's non-techie, you know, how do they handle this? And I think the answer is they just don't. (laughs) They probably give up. and, And that's really sad. So I wanted to discuss, you know, some some things that uh, some tools that we've been using. The first one I have is an app pick, and this is applicable to, you know, what's going on in my life uh, recently. My son had to have an MRI recently, and um, it was a brain scan actually, and he's fine, everything's okay. Um, he's he's got some focal epilepsy, and you know, they're just keeping an eye on some things. Um, I don't know about you. Are you one of those people that you like to see what's going on with your body? Do you do you like to see scans and stuff like that? I don't have them done, so mm-hmm. I can't say. When when I just thought of something, when you were having your kids, were, were sonograms a thing? No. When my second son, I had one only because they thought I was miscarrying mm. in the first trimester. So that was strictly to make sure he was still there. When I had my third son, I did have a sonogram, but all I have is the top of his head. Oh. So back then, I don't they, have they just an did actual. It. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's like nowadays, it's now like standard videos and there's yeah. 3D yeah. and there's, you know, I just saw that really the other cool. day. I just saw that the other day. Somebody tweeted and it was a GIF. It was like a looping GIF of the sonogram of their of their child. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm on Twitter and I'm just looking at somebody's baby in somebody's womb. I, this is just the coolest thing ever. 
I mean, some people might, is, might take issue cool. with that, but I just think that is amazing. And, you know, you know, talking about your experience where you only got the sonograms when, when it was, you know, absolutely necessary. And then with my experience, it was just starting to become standard practice, but they were really hard to come by. It was like you, you got that printout and man, you just cherished those because you only got about, I don't know, about five, six of them or so. Whereas other women that I've known over the years have gotten like this long string of them. I mean, they just, they hand them out like candy now, you know? So it's just interesting how far uh, imaging has come. And so that leads me to my app pick for today. So like I said, you know, we had just gotten, my son had an, had a, had an MRI. And so they gave you images. Now, this is kind of funny. Um, I guess it's practical in a way. But, you know, when you ask for, I guess most people don't ask, but I, I like this stuff because I'm a geek. I, I, I dig this stuff. I think it's really interesting. So I asked about getting the images and I knew what they were going to say because uh, a long time ago, I, you know, quick story, I, I worked for uh, an urgent care and I helped them set up their DICOM station and stuff like that. That was like part of my my IT position. And so I know a thing or two about DICOMs as far as, you know, how to, how to get them onto your computer and that sort of thing. I also know that you have to have a CD burning station set up. And that's still, even after all these years, like it just seems like we haven't really progressed. That's still how they do things because I think it's just the cheapest. It's, it's just probably just so dirt cheap to just buy, you know, a whole entire spindle full of CDs. And, you know, really these, these images, they don't, they might take up, I, I guess, I guess they might have taken up about four gigabytes, I think, or so. So, you know, I guess I guess I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if I guess the price just hasn't come down. I guess even if they bought them in bulk, I, I imagine couldn't you just get a whole bunch of like micro SD cards that are, you know, that much in size. But I guess for them, it's just, you know, it's just one of those technologies that's it's just in place. It's firmly planted. That's not going to change anytime soon. They're still going to just burn those images, those DICOM images right onto a CD. But the problem is that more and more of our computers don't have optical drives. You know, like I'm lucky enough that I have old tech laying around so that I do have access to a CD drive that I could plunk it in there and, and grab them off of there. But it's like old and it's like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it, is it going to freeze? Like it's one of those things where, you know, Macintosh optical drives were just notorious for just failing all the time. So anytime I have to even look at a CD, I kind of cringe. So anyway, I knew what the answer was going to be when they said, no, you know, we're going to send you a CD. We're going to burn them to a CD. And I was like, well, is there any way you could put them on a thumb drive? And no, you know, they don't have that capability. So we, you know, I waited. They, they mailed us the CD. I, I got, I put them in an old Mac and I dragged them off onto a hard drive. And then we went and we looked at them. Well, what do you do now? You have the CD, right? You have these files, you drag them off. How are you going to look at the images? Because I'll tell you, most of the time, and, and I've been doing this for a long time, most of the time, the they'll put the application, they'll put the program right there on the CD. They'll make it in an HTML or an XML format so that you can click on it and view it in a, in a web browser. But one of two things happens, either it's like they'll say, you know, it's not compatible or doesn't work with your browser or the images will be like really small. Like in, in the example of this one, it was like this constant looping GIF and I couldn't really like see what I was looking at. I was like, wait, I want to slow down. I wanted to view the images individually. So the solution that I came up with is I went, you know, searching around and I used to use a, an app a long time ago called Osiris. But I, th I think it's now something where they charge for it. So that wasn't an option anymore. I didn't want to pay a lot of money for something. I'm not a medical doctor. It's not something that I really need for that purpose. But I did find this app. And how do we say? We're, we said we we're going to pronounce this uh, Miel64. We think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, mie <laughs> Miel? Yeah. 
like like meow, but meow. Uh, so I put the link to it in the show notes. Um, it's called Miel 64, but it's spelled M-I-E-L-E hyphen L-X-I-V. And we figured out that that's 64, and that makes sense because it's a 64-bit app. So we're, we're thinking it's called Miel 64. So I'm sorry to the developers if I totally butchered that. But anyway, so I put links to the uh, the website and also to the Mac App Store link. So it's a free DICOM viewing app. So if you find yourself in a similar situation where your doctor has given you images and you would like to look at them. Now, I'll tell you why it's also handy now, especially because a lot of us are doing our medical appointments via telehealth. Um, you know, I... I I rarely go to the doctor unless I like actually have to go in, get blood drawn or, you know, get some kind of a test done Um, for all of the appointments where I have to just review results. I mean, it's kind of pointless to go and, you know, risk your your safety by driving out there and going and sitting in a waiting room or, you know, whatever. So most of our uh, results discussion type of appointments have been over telehealth. And so it's I I personally find it really helpful if the doctor is going to be talking to you about something and there's imaging involved. I would think that you would want to have these images in front of you as you're discussing it with the doctor in case they want to point something out. So I just got an MRI for my cervical spine, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'll get the images soon. And I'm just happy that I found this app because now I'll be ready. So when the doctor gives me that CD, uh, then I can pop it in and, and view those images. I probably won't know what I'm looking at. I mean, I have kind of a, an idea. The brain scans really just totally did not know what I was looking at. I mean, I could see eyeballs and, yep, he has a brain. <laughs> there's there's this, you know, so, and it was neat. We all kind of sat around the computer looking at him and, and you know, we're showing Keegan, like, Keegan, look, that's your brain. Isn't that cool? So he, we did. We found that really, really interesting. You can even adjust the contrast. And there's all these different uh, views and angles and, and stuff that they do it at. And so you can click through those images and you view them one at a time, or you can adjust the contrast, or you can view a looping GIF. I mean, it just it's it's very cool how it shows it to you in all those different views. So that is my my app pick that I think is is really uh, helpful for if you have to have imaging done. Okay, so our next topic is a security PSA. I, as you, as if people know me, you know, you know, I, I work with clients out in the field. Lately, now it's been remote. Um, I've been seeing more and more people lately, and I'm sad to report that I've I've had several clients now who have been hacked, and these are people who are not unintelligent people. I mean, these people know better, and it still happens to them. So, I guess my my cautionary tale is that it it can really happen to anybody, even. Even really smart people, even even geeks like us, it can happen. So I just wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront because I think it's happening more because I think people are a little bit more raw and a little bit more vulnerable. I think people are, you know, understandably upset and extra stressed out right now. And I think it kind of leaves us all, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a weakness, like a little bit of a, a vulnerable spot there where sometimes these these hackers, these scam artists can really get the best, the best of us and it really kind of catches us off guard. So I thought maybe if I just talked about it a little bit to to kind of get it in everybody's minds, some of the things to some things to think about, some things to consider, some things to watch out for. And the the things I want to tell you are from my field experience, from from seeing this happen over and over and over again and 
you know, finding all different kinds of ways to deal with it, ways to prevent it from happening, ways to mitigate the damage when it does happen. Those are the kinds of things that I wanted to talk about. So the first thing I wanted to mention is, you know, check on your loved ones, check on the people who might not be as tech savvy. I mean, like I just said, it, it can happen to very tech savvy people. But the people who are not tech savvy or people who just, you know, don't have a lot of experience with computers, with digitizing, with, you know, working online, they can be especially vulnerable for things. And it's even more especially so now, because like I just discussed, a lot of us are doing remote working, remote telehealth, remote healthcare, and because of that, we're now introducing things into our computers that we didn't used to have. So for example, like I was telling you in the beginning, you know, a lot of times it takes us a while to get going because I was just telling you, I have all of these different conferencing software things now. You know, I remember, I remember way back in the day, like in the beginning of the pandemic where didn't I text you guys in the Goopod and I was like, hey, I want to try out all these. I'm kind of excited about this. I want to try out like all of these different uh, remote screen sharing apps like Zoom, you know, was just on the horizon that became a, you know, that was just becoming a thing. And I wanted to try Google Meet and I wanted to compare them all and, and see which features were the best and, you know, all this stuff. And I was so excited about it. Fast forward to now and it's like, oh my God, I can't stand them. It's like, they're, they're just like, they're so pervasive now, you know? And so now that I have all of these, I guess you should just be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> but now I have all of these apps. I have Zoom, I have WebEx, I have Skype, I have Google Meet, um, FaceTime, you know, there, there's just all of these remote uh, video conferencing apps. And most, if not all of them, have some type of screen sharing component of them. And, you know, for obvious reasons, because you're you're going to be discussing things and you're going to be sharing your screen. So that's both good and bad. It's great because it really helps facilitate business, right? And it really helps facilitate healthcare when you have the ability to be able to either share your screen or have someone share their screen with you and be able to see the people face to face. But what it has done now, it has opened up Pandora's box when it comes to making people vulnerable to hackers, because now that people have these things installed, they can be exploited. One of the ones that I have been reading about and I have seen firsthand is TeamViewer. Now, I used to really love TeamViewer, and, and I will say, I mean, these are legitimate tools. They are not malware. They are not viruses. They are legitimate tools that are good and they are easy to use and they are very, very helpful but they can be used against people. And that's what I want to talk about. That's that's what I have been seeing happening is that I'm finding my clients who all of a sudden, you know, when I've been working with them, maybe I haven't talked to them in a year or two or several months or whatever, and I finally get into their machine or they tell me what happened. And I'm like, ooh, that's not something that I installed or that's something that I uninstalled or, you know, or, you know, in in the the years past, you know, before the pandemic, when I would go to people's homes and sit down there at their machines, I would see these apps that had been installed by other technicians. Okay. And I get it. I mean, at the time, TeamViewer was a really great tool to use. It also has the ability to, and some people desire this this feature, it has the ability to be able to be set up so that you don't have to be present at the computer. So I know that there's people who hire technicians like me that want them to remote into their computer and just take over and, you know, fix a problem or work on a website or work on a project or something like that. And so 
it can be set up for un, uh, unattended access. So again, it's a great tool, but it can be really used for nefarious purposes. So what I'm finding is I'm finding that TeamViewer is one of the uh, one of the things that are being used to exploit people. So my message is that check on your loved ones. If they are people who are not particularly tech savvy, who you know that that they probably would not actively choose to install this type of software on their computer, there's a good chance that it probably was, they probably got talked into it. They probably got fished. They probably got scammed. They probably were just following instructions and it got installed on their behalf. And they may have consented to it, but they didn't know what they were consenting to. And that's really the, the big problem here. So I'll give you a scenario that has happened repeatedly to several people that, that I've worked with. I'm working with them because this happened to them. Uh, they, there's a pattern that you can look out for. The, the, it's typically either an email, a text, or a phone call where someone either calls you and it's a it's not a robot, it's a real person. A lot of times it is a, an automated message, but it's somebody calling and making a claim. And the claim that they're making is that something in your life is in jeopardy. Your money, your security, your safety, they, they get you all worked up and they make you think that somebody is spending your money without your permission. And that's been that's been the claim. It's it's been an Amazon purchase. That's been the recurring theme. I've seen this over and over and over again. Um, it's been typically Amazon. It it could be other stores, but they know that Amazon is kind of the big, you know, every just about everybody and their uncle, you know, buys stuff off of Amazon. So it's an easy, low hanging fruit, right? So the claim is that you'll either get a call or an email, and they'll say, "Hey." We discovered that someone purchased an iPad or someone purchased, a, you know, something really expensive or they purchased a bunch of things on your account and they used your credit card number. And you, you think, oh, my gosh, you know, like right away when you hear that, you panic, right? You think, oh, my gosh, this is this is terrible. I've been hacked. You know, I, I feel vulnerable. And see, that's where it's it's like it's a bit of like gaslighting. It's like they're telling you you've been hacked but you actually haven't been hacked yet, but they're the hacker, right? They're they're trying to convince you that you have been hacked so that they can hack you. And that's what, what typically happens. So what happens is people, they fall for the claim. They believe it because we're vulnerable. We're sleep deprived. We're stressed out. We're scared of every little thing. And we think, oh my gosh, not one more thing. And so your brain kind of goes into like hypervigilance mode. And you think, well, I got to fix this problem. This, this is, this is, this is, you know, I, I got to do something about this. And then you think, okay, now you're vulnerable. Well, what do I do about it? What do I do about it? And then they say, well, I'll tell you what you do about it. And then this is where they get you. So then they instruct you, okay, first, you know, I'm going to help you out with this. Don't worry. I'll take good care of you. You know, I'll, I'll get into your, I mean, I say that too. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into your computer and I'll help you out and I'll show you what needs to be done. So they, they, they claim that they're tech support, right? They'll, convince you to download, you know, they'll send you a link or they'll tell you, they'll instruct you what to key into the web browser and they'll tell you where to go and they'll say, click this link. And, you know, lately it's been stuff like TeamViewer, um, LogMeIn. Let's see, what's another one? Uh, I think it's called like I Show You or something like that. Or, you know, just even if you have Zoom or if you have any of this stuff like on your system, they'll they'll find a way to exploit one of these tools. And before you know it, they're into your computer and they're moving stuff around and you're just like, just fix it. Just, just, just take care of it because I don't know what to do now. And now you're all of a sudden relying on this person. Now, what I see typically happens is either the person has fallen for enough of it 
And then they kind of get a clue. You know, they start to think like something kicks in and they think, hmm, something's just not right about this. Now they're asking me for my bank account number. And now they're telling me that I, I have to do this and I have to do that. Like there's at some point in time, something should kick in that raises a red flag that says, uh, hmm, this doesn't seem right. And then, you know, you put the kibosh on it, you stop it. But by then it could be too late because they've already asked, accessed your system. They could have already taken screenshots. So what I want to make clear to people is that even if you have gotten to this point where you've allowed somebody or you know somebody that's that's allowed somebody to remote into their system and they've gotten that far with it, don't just think that, okay, well, I, you know, wow, I'm really, you know, glad that I realized that it was a hacker and I stopped it before we went too far. I didn't give them any money. I didn't pay them anything. So I'm safe, right? Mm, think again, because like I said, they could have gone in there. They could have taken screenshots of stuff. Especially like if you have, you know, a bunch of stuff on your desktop, this is why I also advocate for people not storing things on their desktop. Uh, they can see stuff if you have, you know, if you've got a big old file there that says uh, passwords, you know, that's going to be really, uh, really interesting for them to want to look at. You just don't know what they've already accessed before it's too late. So if this does happen, or if you know somebody that this has happened to, now this is the pain point, you're going to have to change your passwords. That's the first thing that I recommend that you do is change your passwords, at least start at the top level, start by changing the password to your computer, because they could have already, you know, somehow gotten that, especially if, if you're the type of person where when they're asking you, okay, now click, the, click this and then enter your password. And if you're the type of person that talks to yourself, like you might have not knowingly divulged information. Um, if you do use a password manager, which I highly recommend, I also highly recommend, please, please, please make sure that the information when you open up your, your password manager, make sure that it's concealed. You don't want them to be able to see the passwords. A lot of people like to see what their passwords are, and so they leave it viewable. And this is just a bad idea because, again, screen, screenshotting. Um, documents, you know, you might... You might not be thinking about it because you're you're kind of panicked. You might say, okay, you know, what's my password? And you go and you open up a Word doc or, or an Excel spreadsheet or something, and you open it up, and that's not concealed either. So be thinking about the type of surveillance that could be going on. Um, I just, uh, it's, it's hard to deliver this kind of news because I feel bad, you know, trying to, I don't want to scare people, but I do kind of want to scare people. I want, I want people to be aware of this kind of stuff. So I would say try to raise that red flag earlier on. If anybody is making a claim saying that something bad happened to you, stop and evaluate the situation. Stop, like let the, let the red flag be raised right there on the spot and think to yourself, do I know this person? Is this a credible source? Where is this coming from? How do you validate that this is true? Especially like if it's an email, you know, you can click on who it's from. You and I are always sharing that stuff, aren't we? We're always taking screenshots of like, oh, look at what this hacker tried to do, right? Yeah, it came from abc123.ru. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I think that's good that we keep doing that. I think that uh, we should always, you know, share things like that with your friends. If you come across something, you know, take a screenshot of it or a picture of it and say, here's what Here's what an example looks like, especially the really the ones that like they're starting to get better. It used to be that just all of the grammar and all the spelling would just be horrendous and it would just be obvious. Also, keep in mind, if you get something that claims to be your bank, does your bank say, hello, Melissa? 
or do they say hello customer? Mm-hmm. What do they normally do when they when they are legitimately emailing you? So if they normally say hello Melissa and this one says hello blank or hello customer, mm-hmm. there's a tip right there this is not right. a legitimate. And what I've always done is anytime uh every now and then my credit card will say you have a secure message. Mm-hmm. Click here yes. to access it. Mm-hmm. I don't click here. Don't don't click. I it. open up a web browser and I just type in the name of my credit card and mm-hmm. I log in and then I look and go, okay, there's my secure message. Mm-hmm. And I click on that. There was one time where I think there was a problem with my card and I did get a phone call. Like, did you actually make this purchase of X amount of dollars on mm-hmm. such and such a date? Mm-hmm. I didn't answer. I hung up. I called back the 800 number on the back of my card. And I said, I received a phone call just now trying to validate that I made a purchase. And then that person said, oh, yeah, we did just try calling you. I said, okay, well, yes, I did make that purchase. Thank you. So don't just, like Melissa was saying, don't just assume that the phone call you're getting is legit. Right. Always Always call back. And the other thing to check for, if you normally, maybe you have, most of us have more than one email address. If you normally have your email address, um, say with your banking or your credit card, for example, with Gmail, but you also have a Hotmail email address, and you're getting those alleged um, notices about there's a problem with your account to your Hotmail address, well, right there, you know it's a scam, because mm-hmm. yeah. that's not the email address that you use with that particular credit card. Mm-hmm. So also look at that. You know, So like Melissa was saying, don't just assume that if someone is calling you or emailing you or texting you or saying, oh my God, something happened, that it's actually legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's really great advice. Um, I was going to just piggyback on that and say banking and medical. Those are the two big ones where it seems like because of the way things are designed, they they know that they don't want to just use plain email, right? They, they have portals is what we call them. There's medical portals, banking portals. Um, it's supposed to provide kind of a, a line of security, a wall in between you and the provider, whether that provider be a banking institution or a medical provider, that instead of them just emailing you, say, your test results, you know, um, or just emailing you information that is personally identifiable about your financial situation, what they will email you instead is uh, click this link or, you know, they will say, I mean, I wish a lot of them do do that. They do say, you know, click this link to, to access your portal which I would say just, you know, avoid even clicking that in the first place. I kind of wish that they wouldn't do that. What they really should say is, you know, check your portal. Like it's, it's you know, maybe they could say it's located at this address, but then don't hyperlink it, you know. I guess it's a, it's a you know, it's one of those things where how do you balance the conveniency with the security? So for a lot of people who are kind of novice to this, they might not understand, you know, where they actually have to go. But the point is, is that if they're telling you, that there is a message that does have uh, sensitive information in it. We need you to access it from our secure portal that we can control the security on. You need to go to it. But I wouldn't do it like Elisa, you were just saying, I wouldn't do it by clicking something in the message. And this is why we're going to be talking about password managers again. It's just I, it's just something we should always discuss. Store that stuff in your password manager. Don't just Google it um, because – like, even if you were just to say, okay, well, I'll just go, you know, bankofamerica.com or whatever. There's, 
there's going to come a time where you could, you know, misspell something, you know, maybe you type it really quickly because you're, you know, you're in a hurry or you're panicked about something that that they the claim is, you know, something's wrong. Uh, scammers can squat on those URLs and they can, you know, pay a lot of money because, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. They can pay a lot of money to make those search results float up to the top of the search results page. So it's really not a good idea to just type it into the Google, you know, search field or into your, your address bar. You should really get the valid URL and place it into your password manager and then always navigate to that website, to that portal, to wherever it is that they want you to go directly from your password manager, you know, by clicking on a link and having it deliver you to the website. This way, you know, you're not Googling for it, right? And then that's how you should access it. So take the message, whether it's a text, a phone call, or an email, take that, you know, kind of with a grain of salt, say, okay, here's a claim. It says that there's information that I need to be aware of, or there's a problem. And you say, okay, thank you for that information. And then you directly go to the source, you know, straight from the top. Use your password manager, click on the link from within that, have it deliver you securely to the website, log in using your password manager. Because, you know, again, a lot of these hackers install, I mean, you could be clicking on something from a website ad and you don't know if you've gotten a keylogger installed. And a keylogger is something that kind of sits in the background and records your keystrokes. So that's another reason why I advocate for password managers, because if you're using the password manager to autofill that information, that means you're not keying it in. You're not pressing keys on the keyboard that can be recorded. No, no strokes are being recorded when you're typing. So use your password manager, have it deliver you to the website, have it autofill the username and password and, you know, verification code if need be, and then access that messaging portal there directly and go straight to the source. And then you'll see for yourself, yes, there's a message. Here's my sensitive information. I'm reading it on a secure channel and you'll be a lot safer for that. So just a quickly review, you know, watch for these patterns when someone is contacting you through whatever method and they make a claim that something is wrong, that something is um, someone has spent money without your consent or that someone is in trouble, stop and think to yourself, how do I verify that this information is true? And then go directly to the source. So if they're claiming that, for example, you know, an Amazon purchase was made, you know that you could go and securely log into Amazon and review your orders. You know, if so, for example, this has happened to several people now, had they just stopped and instead of just believing the claim that was being told to them, had they just stopped and hung up on the person and said, okay, you know, thanks for the information. I'll go check it out. Bye. Click. They could have just gone and logged in to their Amazon account and viewed their orders. Then they would have seen, you know, the orders in question. If it's an email, you have, you know, the information that you can compare right there. You can see that that's not true. Um, you can also then double check your credit card information. Now, here's the other problem that that I see people running into. So a lot of people, especially, you know, older people are really, really fearful of online banking. Um, they, It's just not something that they're comfortable with, understandably. It, it, I mean, look at what we're talking about here. Uh, they want to go into a brick and mortar. They want to go in and have a face-to-face conversation with with a person okay and that's totally understandable and it it is it's probably you know it's the safest way to be but lately we don't have 
that luxury. You know, a lot of places, uh, it's it's hard to go in person. It's really not that safe to go and, and see someone in person. A lot of those offices are really small, you know. And like in the case of my bank, there's not even a brick and mortar located in my state. So I couldn't go see a person if I wanted to. Um, so that leads me to, you know, there is a lot of merit to be thought about when it comes to trying to cross over that threshold of fear and and do enroll in online banking. And I'll tell you why, because if you're just waiting for an appointment to see somebody face to face, or you just, you know, you got to have the dead trees, you got to have the paper, you, you're you waiting every 30 days or however however long your billing cycle is, by then it's too late till you get that paper in the mail. And it tells you that there's some fraudulent, you know, charges against your account. By then it's too late. You know, it's already a month, you know, or almost a month has passed. A lot of these things, these these claims have to be taken care of within 48 to 72 hours. That's, that's just kind of the rules of, of you know, their li- how much they're willing to be liable for. So the case for using online banking is that then you are in control. You are the custodian of your information. And then you can go and check your accounts regularly, you know, every day, weekly. You know, if you have it on your phone. I mean, you can just open up the app any any day of the week and go and view the transactions and catch it. Now, like you said, you know, you get a phone call. A lot of the banks, a lot of the financial institutions are really good about catching that stuff, but they don't always catch it. They don't always catch it, especially if it's something small. And you might think, oh, it's not a big deal. But it is because it can build up over time. So I make the case for, yes, do the online banking. Um, try to prioritize using a mobile app on a smartphone over a website on a computer because the mobile apps that are designed by the financial institutions, by the healthcare institutions, they are designed by that company and they control the security of it. They have to because they have to keep their stakeholders safe. So it is the safest way to use the mobile app that was designed for that service on your smartphone or on your tablet um, and then I would, you know, the second thing I would do is, is a website on the computer. It's it's still safe, but it's it's safer to use an app that was designed for it because it's kind of sandboxed, right? So um, I would say, yes, do the online banking. You know, you can still get your paper statements. That's not a problem. But enroll in online banking and take control of your financial information, of your medical information, so that you know how to access it, you know, become familiar with it, make sure that you can get at it. Because like I just outlined, if the claim is is saying that your Amazon account was hacked, or your credit card was hacked, somebody spent money of yours without your consent, you can verify both places. You can log into Amazon, view your orders. You can log into your bank account and view the transactions. And you can verify whether or not that action has taken place. And then if it did, if it really was a legitimate warning, a legitimate claim, then you can go to the fraud department for that service. You you can contact the fraud department. Don't let them contact you. You contact them and you can say, I've viewed my information and I see that there's a problem and I need to report it and then they can take care of it from there and then that will all be legitimate. So that was the thing I just really wanted to warn about because I'm seeing it happen more and more. I'm seeing people not knowing how to access their own information. I'm seeing people not knowing or understanding that they have that as an option 
and then not knowing how to work with it and then not knowing how to keep themselves safe, how to make strong passwords. They, you know, will reuse the same password over and over again. It's just it's it's really going to make people vulnerable. And a lot of us, I mean, we have to really like take care of our parents because, you know, we we may not have money, but they have money. And if they're trying to leave it to us in the form of an inheritance and it gets if they get hacked and and I mean, that's gone. <laughs> you you're gonna lose your inheritance if if you don't, you know, stay on top of this stuff. And again about the the remote uh screen sharing apps, look out for things like TeamViewer, Log Me In, uh Zoom, you know, Skype, all of these things that we use, it's fine if we use them, but make sure that the loved one that you're checking in on, make sure that they know why that software is there. Make sure that they understand what that software is capable of doing. And if they don't remember installing it, and if they don't understand why it's even there, or they've never even heard of it, get rid of it right away. You know, just just delete it. Um, maybe I'll, I'll try to put some links in future episodes. Um, there are some steps that you can take for manually removing that stuff. And of course, you know, you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to use a piece of remote screen sharing software in order to do it. But at least, you know, you're going to be the one who's going to be handling that and you know that it's legit. But if you're encountering people in your life that don't know what this stuff is, just check on them and make sure that they get it removed from their system and, and tell them don't accept any of that stuff unless they consult with you first or, you know, teach them how to verify. Okay, so that's my I would also add to PSA. that. Well, I have mm-hmm? one, sure. yeah, one more thing to add to that. If you normally get uh, legitimate emails from your credit card, from your bank, maybe from your power company, they'll usually put at the bottom of the email, this is for account ending in one, two, three, four, whatever the okay. last four digits are of your account number. So that that's one way to know that it's probably legit. And they will also say, we will never ask you for your password. We will never ask you for any financial information. So if you get a phone call that says, hi, I'm from um, you know Bank of America credit card, which maybe you actually have, and they say, well, there's a problem with your account. We just need your password to verify Hang up. That's never going to happen. Or if you get that in the email, we need you, you know, we need some information. So please email us back with your name and your password and your account number. Delete. Mm -hmm. Or if you have clicked on a link and it takes you to a website that asks you for your username and password. Yeah, just don't do it. Unless unless you know, like if, if you've, you know, if you've clicked on it from your password manager, then you know it's legit. But if you've clicked on it from an email, it very well could not be. I mean, it could have been intercepted. I mean, the, the scammers are getting more and more sophisticated. Like I said, you know, earlier, it used to be that it was really easy to spot. You know, you could um, see that something was spelled, you know, misspelled or, you know, it said, hi, customer, like you said, something like that. There were pretty glaring things for, for most people could could see it. But more and more, their their language skills have gotten better. You know, there might it might not be so much maybe uh, AI, machine learning. It might be more real people that are tasked with this because I mean, like this is a multi billion dollar industry, so they probably have the resources to be able to do it. Why people do it, I, I don't know. Um, it used to be that you know it might have a logo. But the logo was like a little off. But see, not everybody really notices that kind of stuff. Like I notice that because my background is in graphic design. So I tend to pay attention to that stuff. Like one time, not even one time, many times I have seen claims coming from what was supposed to look like Yahoo, except the exclamation point was missing. <laughs> you know, like, no, nope, that's part of their brand. Like there's always going to be the exclam- exclamation point there. So, 
You know, those are the kinds of things. Oh, also the other thing is if if somebody calls you and they say, I'm from Bank of America and blah, 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 blah. And you say, thank you. I will call myself and verify this information. If they say, well, let me give you the number. It's Mm 1-800. No, 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 no. No, they're going to give you the number that they want you to call. You go get your credit card or your bank statement and you find the 800 number that's listed on your card or your statement and call them that way. Exactly. Do not listen to what, because they're going to tell you to call the number that one of their people is. Mm -hmm. And because one of their people is going to say, hello, welcome to Bank of America. How can I help you? And you're going to think, okay, good. I've got the right number. It might even come up on the caller ID like that because, I mean, my Mm -hmm. teenager can do it. Phone numbers can be spoofed. So I guess that's why we're saying is beware of accepting an incoming transmission. Don't accept an incoming transmission, a phone call that's coming to you, an email that's coming to you, a text that's coming to you. Don't just take that at face value. You go and make the outgoing transmission communication, right? You go and contact them. Take the information and then go validate it on your own. Don't have somebody, you know, maybe maybe there's going to be a case where they'll you'll start a job ticket or something and then they'll say, okay, we'll call you back. That's different. Then you know to be expecting that phone call. So that's the other thing too is I'm just, oh, there's so many, there's so many points to this and I know it can just be maddening and a lot of people, you know, they just start to tune out. They just their eyes start to glaze over, and I get it. I really do. But it is so important. Just keep talking about it. Just keep checking in. You just it's something. It's part of maintenance that you just have to keep doing. You know, maybe you don't feel like changing the oil in your car, but guess what? If you don't change the oil in your car, one of these days you're not going to be able to drive it. And you like driving your car, don't you? You like being able to do these things, don't you? Well. Password, security, maintenance, this is all part and parcel. You got to do it. It just has to be done. And if you don't know how to change the oil in your car, you can pay somebody to do it. If you don't know how to do the, the computer maintenance, then you can pay somebody to do it. But you do have to be responsible for your own information. It's it's part of being a good digital citizen. And part of being responsible for that information is maintaining a good, clean contact list. I always keep telling people, make sure that you're, you know, we used to call it an address book, address book contacts list, you know, the, the app on, on iOS and, and Mac is called contacts, whatever it is that you call that thing, where you're storing all that information, keep that clean, keep that up to date. If you are seeing a, a brand new doctor, and, um, you know, they you don't have their phone number in your contact list, put it in there so that when they call, it will be identified from your contacts list. Now, I just said it could be spoofed. So you have to combine those two things. You have to combine the fact that is this somebody that you know? How do you know that? Because it's it's something that is listed in your contacts list that you put in there. And were you expecting that phone call to occur? I know with uh, medical situations, especially a lot of them will call from a blocked number. And that can be kind of tricky because I'm always telling people, don't answer it. If you don't know who it is, just don't answer it. I mean, there's this whole generation of people who were trained, they're programmed to be polite. You know, it's polite to answer the phone. Well, I don't want to just be rude and not answer it. No, just don't answer it, really. It's okay. I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission. It is okay to not answer the phone unless you're expecting it. If you see uh, the caller ID says that it's blocked or if it's a number that you don't recognize, it's okay to let it go to voicemail. If it is really legit and it's really important, they will leave you a message. 
if you have just been to the doctor and they said, we're going to be calling you back and you expect the call, then it's okay to answer it. it. You know, it's probably okay, especially I know a lot of times I play phone tag because maybe I don't answer it and then they leave me a message and then I have to call them back. And then that doctor, that that medical assistant isn't available and then they have to call me back and it's just constant game of, of phone tag. And that is really frustrating. But at least I know that it's safe because I know that I'm going to be expecting a phone call from them. So if, if it if a if a number comes through and it says that it's blocked, nine times out of ten it's probably my doctor, and so I will I will answer it then. And you know if it just happens to be that it isn't, you can't you hang up. <laughs> you just don't don't try to reason. And if with it ends them. up being a different number, which happens with my GP, mm-hmm. they never call back from the number that I call. They call from a different number. Yes. Yes. Now, I have not done this because I don't really need to call them that often. But what you can do is after the call, you can go in and cha- add that to the yes. contact for yes. that doctor mm-hmm. so that if they call back again from that number, it will come up mm-hmm. with that doctor's name. That's you a know, good you know point. that if you're going to if you're going to the doctor on Friday, usually by Tuesday or Wednesday, they'll call you to mm-hmm. confirm the appointment. Mm-hmm. So like you said, if you're expecting that phone call, you should be expecting that phone call. Right. Because and then it's safe I, to I end up getting it. phone calls from my father because my father can't hear. I have all the doctors call me when they either want to talk to him. They have to confirm appointment. So I get phone calls at six o'clock on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And then the phone rings. I'm like, okay, it's just the doctor calling mm-hmm. that my father has an appointment on Tuesday. You know what? That's a really good point that you bring up, though. Honestly, get an advocate. I mean, you know, none of us should have to go through this alone. And that's part of the issue is that people are struggling and they are going through this alone. Try to find or be an advocate for somebody to help them out with this kind of stuff. You know, offer if your family member offer to be a point of contact so that that they don't get hacked, you know, so that, you know, they are getting contacted by by somebody legit and that, you know, that this is happening. Um uh, one of the things that happened to one of my clients that I had not heard of this, but it makes total sense now that I know. Uh, so somebody had gotten hacked really badly. You know, it, it impacted all of their bank accounts. They had to go, you know, the, the hacker got in. I mean, they they were hook, line, and sinker. I mean, they just really fell hard for it. And, you know, I just, my heart goes out to them. They actually followed all the instructions and gave all the bank account information out. And so, you know, what what do you figure is going to happen? They got drained. So they had to quickly, you know, go drive over to the bank. Luckily, they did have a brick and mortar building that they could go to. Luckily, they did have a fraud specialist that they could sit down and talk with. But by then, I mean, it was it was too late. Like all the money was gone. And so they had to I, maybe not gone, but like, you know, in the process of being drained. And so the bank, of course, had to put a stop to it and they had to freeze all of the accounts and then the person had to wait for new cards, new new account numbers and boy oh boy did it create an incredible mess because now their retirement, their utility bills, like so many things were set up to auto pay, which I I do highly recommend. I think auto pay is wonderful except for when something like this happens. I mean, even just one credit card, let's say you use a credit card and that's your payment method on file with Amazon, if that credit card uh, expires or gets hacked and you have to get a new one, you have to go in and change it, right? Well, now scale that up. Imagine having to do that with all of your bills, all of the places where you shop, all of the places where money comes in and, and money goes out, all that has to be changed because you get these new account numbers. That's also a huge liability and a huge hit for the bank to take because you know it's FDIC insured. You're not going to lose any money because you reported it right away which is great for you, 
but the bank is out that money, right? I mean, there's, I don't know exactly how all that works out, but all I know is that, you know, they've got to protect their assets. So when this happened to this person, I mean, it was just, they got taken so, so deeply for it that um, someone actually had to come out and do a welfare check on this individual because they needed to make sure that this person was lucid and that, I mean, you know, this person definitely was, but they just were really vulnerable at the time. They just didn't understand because they hadn't been educated on it. Now they are, and it's much better, and I'm I'm helping them out with it. But there was a lot that they just didn't know. They didn't know what kind of questions to ask. They didn't know what they didn't know. You know, so uh, so a welfare check had to be had to be done. Someone actually had to go out and check on the person and evaluate their ability to live on their own and make sure that they could be responsible for their information. So, you know, more and more, you're probably going to start hearing about that where people are, are aging to the point where they're alone and they don't have an advocate and they're trying to handle this stuff on their own. And they just they they might not be it's not like they have, you know, cognitive decline or dementia, but it just might be too much for them or they just don't know what they don't know. So so check on people. You know, this this is the time to really be checking in on each other. Even if we can't be with each other in person, you know, reach out, call people, email, ask how they're doing, offer some help, see, you know, see if you can, you know, just kind of have a conversation. So, you know, what kind of uh, are, are you doing Zoom calls or you know, are you, has anybody ever remoted into your computer for anything? And then, you know, try to see if you can find out more, more about that and try to get rid of that stuff if they don't, you know, if they're not aware of what it is. So be, be checking in on that. Okay, so should we move on to our, our next topic? Yeah, got a little bit of one password updates to talk about. Yeah, so a while ago, we said we were going to do this, and, you know, we talked about other things in, in between there. Um, we've both been kind of toiling away at this, and um, me a little bit more so because <laughs> I have a lot more going on. But uh, we had said a couple episodes ago that we both, Elisa and I, decided to change our one password from being a standalone license to a subscription license. So you have the individual license and I have the family license. So we want to give you all an update on where we're at with that. So how is, uh, have you achieved one password Zen, Elisa? I don't know if I'll ever have Zen, <laughs> but back in, when was it? The end of November, beginning of December? I forget now exactly yep. when it was, mm-hmm. when yeah, they were offering the deal for families. Mm-hmm. So... I said, you know something, it's time. It's time to move up. I'm still using the the standalone license with 1Password 6. I keep pushing my husband to use it. And he thinks I'm a lunatic because of all the passwords that I've got. And I keep telling him, you need to back up, you need to back up. I mean, it already bit him in the butt. He, he just doesn't before. listen to our podcast. <laughs> and he's still and he's still like, well, what's the big deal? Well, it, it bit him in the butt hard because it happened at work. So. Mm-hmm. Now he's kind of sort of starting to listen to me, but he was the one with the notebook. When I'd say, okay, I need to, I need your Apple ID password because I'm doing this, this, and this on your phone. I need, <laughs> and he'll like pull out his piece of paper and go, okay, here's this. He'd be like, no, <laughs> is that an doing? L? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, stop and then and, and he would and he's also the kind that reuses his password uh-huh. so if he was using yeah. like you know dog cat snake it would be dog uh-huh. cats well look i mixed it up i made a capital s this time right? but a lowercase no <laughs> no 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 are you sure that's a and capital wait on... no no i'm not so sure <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so he would he was using it on his phone but not his mac and he couldn't use it on his mac because he uses safari on his mac mm-hmm. and it's a uh, my old 2014 macbook pro Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't working. So I just said, okay, now it's time to move over to one password. 
so that we can get it working on his on his. And we got it for 10 months for free. That was the deal. And mm-hmm. then it will be $3 a month. I'm like, you know, for $3 a month, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So I had no problem migrating my account over until I looked at the numbers in my vault and I was missing about 400. So I'm like, oops, <gasps> oh my God, what happened? Right, and and then I scary. realized quickly that it was the yeah. trash. Yeah. Because the thing I don't like about 1Password is the trash, you can't delete things individually. If you put things in the trash... And sometimes I will put things in because I don't need it anymore, but I don't want to get rid of it yet just Mm, in case. But then there's other things that you can say, nope, I absolutely do not need this. This website doesn't exist anymore. Or if there's for whatever reason, you know, you just want to be able to like right click on it and do delete immediately. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Either Mm -hmm. you empty the trash or you don't. Yeah. So when I moved everything. I think we need to talk about that. Because I, I, I see, I'm sorry, Lisa, I got to talk to you about this. <laughs> I, I see people do this a lot and, you know, it's fine. But, and I, I do it myself too. I am, I'm totally guilty of this. And I'm saying like, I need to change this behavior too. The trash is not a repository. The trash is not a place to store things. It just isn't. You, it's, it's a, it's a catch. Okay. So it's a place for, if you accidentally deleted something and you still need to retrieve it, then yes, you you have the opportunity. In other words, it's not de- deleted immediately. It is kind of a holding place for things that you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to delete that or, you know, oops, where did that thing go? I It was just here a moment ago. Well, let me check, let me check the trash, okay? That's what the trash is for, whether it's in the finder for, for your Mac, for your system, whether it's each individual app, you know, each individual app that stores data has its own trash can for the most part. So one password has a trash can. You know, the contacts app, it doesn't have a trash can, but for example, photos that has a trash, it has a deleted items area. So these are items that either got intentionally deleted or accidentally deleted, and they remain there for the purposes of you being able to retrieve them, and in the case of one password to restore it, but then, if you let it build up, it's just going to build up and build up. And then after a while, you're going to think, well, wait a minute, why did I let that build up? And well, now I got to go look at everything, you know? So I think we need to change the mindset of if like, like the example that you gave is an example that that I have too, where I'll have something and I think to myself, like, let's just say it's, it's a credit card. Okay. Th- this is something that I do hold on to. So let's say it's a credit card entry. And you think to yourself, well, that credit card expired or that credit card got hacked and, you know, I cut it up and I got rid of it. I don't have that credit card number anymore, right? The reason why I would hold on to that, but maybe tag it as such, like maybe tag it as old or defunct or, you know, something, use use some kind of filtering method for it. I typically, or, you know, you could do is, um, this is what I started to do. This is how I'm trying to change my mindset is I might not save the entry anymore because the entry annoys me. That, that it's there because it's not a current credit card that I would use. And I'm tired of seeing it in my list, but I still wanted to retain that number, but I don't need it to be an actual entry that I use for autofill or anything like that. So then what I started doing is use a secure note and instead, or, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be in the, in the, the notes section in one password. It could be your notes, but, but I typically like to just, you know, keep a note, a secure note of, you know, accounts that were hacked or old credit card numbers or old uh, insurance ID, member IDs, or something like that. And the reason why I like to hang on to that information, and here's another another thing. So let's say um, I help a lot of people who um, 
a spouse has passed away and they are, you know, trying to, you know, move on with their own lives and they might have to utilize some of their their spouses um, you know, this kind of goes into another area that I, I want to delve into in more detail later, but estate planning, digital estate planning, um, they might have to, you know, use their husband's old password, or they might come across account, an account like months later, they've passed or, you know, years, and then say, oh, gosh, you know, what was the, what was the, the security answer? You know, they, they asked this question, I don't know, he made something up, I don't know what it was. I tell people to hold on to that stuff, but put it in a note. Just these are clues. These are little breadcrumbs that are left behind. These are little tidbits of information that I do like to hang on to in a note because you can search for it. You know, it's a clue. Um, like I said, in the case of, of an old expired uh, MasterCard, for example, I might be going through paperwork because, my gosh, I mean, I just I get buried. Right. By the time I get to being able to go through and like sort that paperwork and decide if I need to scan it, keep it, whatever. I might have a question and say, okay, well, you know, here's some kind of discrepancy. Like say I'm doing my taxes or something and that, and that had happened because this has happened before. And I think to myself, well, what was this, you know, where, where did this get purchased? Was this my husband's? Was this mine? You know, does, does this apply to my my taxes? Does this, does this apply to me somehow or somebody else? And it's helpful to have that uh, information somewhere that you can get to it. So like I said, you might not need to keep it as an entry per se, but you should keep that little tidbit of information on a note that you can at least get to it and then empty your trash. Like try the goal is to try to keep your trash emptied at all times. When you delete something, be deliberate. Make sure that you are deliberately deleting something because you know that you don't need it anymore. And if you think that you need, that you might need to hold on to it for some reason, you're not quite ready to let go, then copy the information into a note. You know, just put it somewhere else that it doesn't show up in the list where it's annoying you, where you, because that's why you wanted to delete it in the first place, right? So that's what I'm trying to do to kind of get around that, to try to get to my goal of keeping the trash empty. Um, because like you said, you know, when, that kind of was a source of panic for you when you when you looked at that number and you're like, oh, it's the trash can. I ran into that too a little bit. And I was like, oh, the numbers don't match up. Okay, wait a minute. Well, and then I, and I thought, why the hell do I have all these things in my trash anyway? So so I just wanted to, to add on to that because that happened to me and that's how I decided to try to shift my my mindset around it. So the trash can is not a repository. Well, I had already had in my notes <laughs> something addressing that. As I said, okay. So in the, I, I never emptied it just in case. Just because in case. on the Mac, you can click on something in your trash and you can do delete immediately. So if you have a piece of information in your trash that maybe you're holding on to for whatever reason, maybe you just need to hold on to it just for one more day. But the other thing you don't need, you can do right click, delete immediately, gone, poof, that, that's gone. And then you can delete the rest of the trash. Trash on my Mac, I delete like okay, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, you know, I I I I hate looking at that and seeing like the little you know the little pieces of paper sitting <laughs> right. in there. It's like I don't know, <laughs> right? Just like goodbye, 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 get right. rid of it. See, I'm like so, that. I just know people that uh, that aren't. <laughs> yeah. So my thought for best practice in the future is if you're not really sure if you need that piece of of information or not in the trash, you can either tag it as trash. Yeah, so yeah. that way it's not in your trash, but if it's tagged as trash, right. you know that maybe in the future you're going to delete it. Uh -huh. Or you can create a vault called trash, uh -huh. and you can put everything in that vault, 
and then maybe go through it a little bit later on and you go, well, I'm not on that website anymore. I definitely don't need that. Boom, gone. Mm -hmm. So you can either retrieve it later if you need it, Mm -hmm. but it's not clogging up your list in your primary vault. So it's still accessible. And that way, you know, for a fact, yep, I don't need that. It's kind of like when you're cleaning your closet. Yeah. People, they they say, if you haven't worn that, you know, that dress in a year, or you haven't worn those shoes in a year, you probably never will wear that dress or those shoes. (laughs) So you know that you can throw it out or donate it or, you know, whatever. Right. Like my therapist would always say, the reality of the situation is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I think that's a a good mindset to have. And um, uh yeah, just try to keep your try to keep your trash emptied. Uh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, you said to tag it, and and I thought that was a great idea too. I use instead of trash, I use marked. It's longer, but I use marked for deletion. I have a lot of photos where I. That's the case with photos. Like I hang on to them. Like I, I'm pretty sure they're probably duplicates or they are photos where you know how it is, Elisa. Like when you take pictures of kids, you have to take like 20 to get, to get one picture because they move around all the time. It's probably one of those cases where it's like, I know that they're probably, I'm probably going to want to delete these, but I have to review them. So I either have folders or tags that are like review you know, just use the word review. That's a nice short word. Um, or, you know, a folder might be called marked for deletion or, you know, file these or, or something like that. In other words, it's some place where I have just not gotten to it just yet, but I don't want it to go away. And when I do get to it, then I'll be able to like let go. So there's like this intermediary phase, I think, for stuff like that. So that's that's definitely a consideration. What else uh, What else did you experience so, with it? So, yeah, so mine, mine was pretty flawless getting updated. So then I was added my son, um, only one of my kids, my other two, I'm, I'm not even going to bother because they're just <laughs> not the kind and it's going to be, steps. oh, mom. And right. I'm just like, forget it. Now, is this so a family? Do, do you have a family subscription or is this individual? Yes. Or? Okay. I bought, yeah, I, I signed up for the family. Okay. Because okay. I said, it's, it's $3 a month, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's fine. It's like 60 so, bucks a year. Uh, yeah. So, no, it was less, isn't it $3 a month? I think it's for families. I think it's six dollars. I want to say six, it's like five ninety. Whatever it was, it was whatever. Yeah, it was, like it was fine. like after all, I was like, you know what? It's a utility now. It's like a utility bill. Are yeah. you gonna are you gonna like are you gonna question your electric bill? Are you gonna question your heat your heating bill? No. So that's how I've been viewing it. Yeah, and it was important. Mm-hmm. So for my son, it did not work. It just yeah, I remember it wouldn't work. Problems. And he also had this. He also had this single license. He had um. He had purchased one password six. So he knew how to use it. He was already good with that. And also because he's going to be the executor of our will, I, you know, which I'm hoping is, you know, another 40, 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. But even so, I figured, you know, it's probably time that I share a vault with my husband because I keep saying to him, you better hope I don't die because <laughs> I, I pay all the bills. I have yeah. all the passwords. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything. So this way I can put passwords in with him. So Great he, you idea. Know, he has a jump on things. And then with my son, I can still put everything in with him because I know I can trust him. He's not the kind who's going to go, oh, here's mom's cell phone. I can go in and I can change it. Right. Right. He's not going to he's not going to touch anything. That's why he's, he's there he's for the executor. He <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So I can do things with him. So. He ended up having to email 1Password support, and their answer was that he needed to delete certain files, which he did on a Saturday morning. He and I had a video chat, 
And he was saying, okay, this is what they told me to do. I'm like, okay, navigate here, here, and here. He goes, is this the one? Yep. So deletes, he deleted the file, but it didn't help him with his phone problem. Mm-hmm. He still wasn't working on his phone. Mm-hmm. So he ended up eventually getting it to work. I'm not exactly sure how it happened because, like I said, this was about two months ago, mm-hmm. but now everything is working great. So then about a couple weeks after that, I finally got the courage to, mm-hmm. to upgrade my husband's. I said, do you still have your pieces of paper just in case? Mm-hmm. So he did. So there's a little bit of trepidation there, and he rejects new technology. It's like he knows what he knows, and that's mm-hmm. all he wants to know. But thankfully with him, it was flawless. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was able, I was able to just go, okay, this is how you, um, you know, you know how you have signed into ESPN for your sports? Oh, well, there you go. This Make is a what good comparison. You uh-huh. know, yeah. yeah. So this is, this is what you're going to do, you know, so mm-hmm. your password is, you know, dogs, cats, snakes. Okay, type that in. Now one password's going to say, do you want to keep it? You type yes. Uh-huh. Okay, now this is how we're going to go in. And we're going to change that password from dog right. snakes to, you know, <laughs> gobbledygook seven question mark, you know, right. and then we're going to do. And I keep telling him when, you, when you're doing your security questions, uh-huh. you don't have to say that, you know, the high school I went to was right. this It doesn't one. have to Put be the correct answer. Like, aluminum foil you right. know if you want right. it, if you don't want it to be a gobbledygook word you can yeah. use you know aluminum foil you can uh-huh. use taco night you know as yeah. long as when they ask you a question you respond right the correct answer that's the hardest it doesn't hump. matter what the answer is that's the hardest hump it for people does, to get over because they think they have to yeah. remember it because they're programmed that way they, we all are you know it's just it's yeah. really hard to change that mindset well i have to remember it well what am i going to do when they ask me how am i going to you go look it up <laughs> you know they they just yeah, exactly. it's hard you have to introduce it as this and it is doesn't a, have a, to be index. honest mm-hmm. as long you as know, you one can of the get fir- to it one of the that's all that matters things, one of the questions is the name of the street where your best friend lived well if your best mm-hmm. friend lived on main street you don't have to put main street you can put I love Mickey cats. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, the name, you know, the first concert you ever went to. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't have to be like my first concert. My first real concert was Boston. Well, I don't have to put Boston and I never put Boston. It can right. be it's snowing outside. Right. And that's your answer. And yep. as long as when they call, if you call this 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 place up and you say the first concert you went to, it's snowing outside. Okay, <laughs> that's the answer. So I take Doesn't what I do right. is when I fill it, when I fill those out, I take a screenshot. Yep, and then I put it in the notes I do that section. Too. Yep, of one password so that mm-hmm. I can look it up and say, okay, it's snowing outside. Mm-hmm. Was the name of the first concert I went to? Another thing I do is I, always, I have I don't use capitals like I, they they're 90 percent of the time they are not case sensitive, the answers, but sometimes they are. And so to avoid, well, was it a capital S and snow? I just use all lowercase letters. So that's just another tip. I, I have had people laugh when I've had to call them. And oh, they'll, they'll say, <laughs> OK, your security question. What was the first concert you went to? Where did your best friend in high school live? Or you know they'll they'll or what what, and you what city aluminum did you foil. get married? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I've used aluminum foil a lot. I don't use it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> but I have used aluminum foil for answers, and they and they yeah. and they giggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's like, the best reason to, be ex- to do it. It doesn't have to be right. 
That's the it best doesn't have reason. to be right. It just has to be as long as that's what I put and that's what I respond. You've inspired me now because I have been starting to put wrong answers because I, I know that that's true. As long as I can get to it, that's all that matters. But now you've inspired me to actually make them really silly. <laughs> that's going to be my, my new mindset, yeah. my new quest. I'm going to make it as like yeah. silly as possible, be- just in case somebody ever has to ask me over the phone because I want I want to make them giggle. <laughs> Because the thing is, like, they'll ask you your mother's maiden name. Right. Or they'll ask you what your maiden name is. And it's so, you know, with social Mm -hmm. media. Oh, my gosh, those quizzes. Everybody's doing those quizzes online, and they're always fishing for that information. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll ask, especially those Facebook quizzes, quizzes where they'll ask you things like um, your favorite class in high school and what year you graduated and Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da. I'm like, no, Mm -mm. I don't answer those quizzes. I know it's meant for fun. Or sometimes, you know how sometimes we'll co- someone will copy and paste? Yes. Like, I might answer something like foods that you like. Yeah. But I'm not going to answer things that can be used against Right. Me. Really personally identifiable As far, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- things like that. Yeah. that all that go, stuff oh, is being well, mined. Right. It's all being harvested. Yeah. It's, her yeah. mother's maiden name is this, and she graduated from this high school right. in this year. I'm like, Mm-mm. I try to tell my and friends that. And they're like, why do you have to pee on my parade? I just want to have some fun. I'm like, yeah, but that's what they're counting on. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and they're going to use it against you. Yeah. So that's that's why I always put fake information in. Yeah. And, you know, so just remember, you don't have to tell the truth. Yeah. So so um, he's finally at the point now. I've watched him put a couple of passwords in. And uh, he'll go to us, you know, because he uses it for work, too. And I'll see uh-huh. the password is, you know, Q7 question mark, lowercase a. Oh, I'm just good. like, oh, I'm so, so proud. proud of you. <laughs> finally, finally, you're not using dog, cat, snake. Right. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, there were a couple hiccups here and there. Mm. But basically, uh, w- one thing I really like about using this now, this yeah. subscription, is that I see the change immediately. immediately. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I make a change on my Mac, whether yep. it's a change or a new website, whatever, and then I open my phone, I see that there yep. immediately, which is yep. great. Before, it might take half an hour before you see it from one device <laughs> to the other. Or you now had to like quit it, relaunch it, or you had to keep like pulling down to yeah. refresh it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's so gone. now it's immediate. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and th- but the one thing, I don't know if you noticed this, it wasn't intuitive adding a Dropbox vault. Um I noticed that before the subscription, mm-hmm. I had a shared vault with my son through Dropbox, right. and I had a different one with mm-hmm. my husband. They disappeared on me. Mm-hmm. They showed up for mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. not for me. Interesting. Now it's back. But I once think that I got that's, it, I think that that's normal because I I noticed that that happened too. I had to re-add it back in. I think that that's been the yeah. case too. So, it, but yeah, it, it would have been nice. The, if, it worked for my husband, mm-hmm. and it worked for mm-hmm. my son. And yeah. I ended up having to drag the vault back into my Dropbox account mm-hmm. in order to show it up on on my my side mm-hmm. for one password. So I'm like, why did it show up for them but not for me when I'm the one who started the account in the first yeah. place? I I think that that could be a glitch. I don't quite understand what the maybe there is a good reason for it. There must there must be maybe it's a preservation tactic of some sort. But I think if my memory serves correctly, what may have happened is. When I did that and I noticed that behavior too, I think it converts the Dropbox vault to a standalone vault and then you just have to reconnect it to Dropbox because that's, I think, what happened with me. I had to just reconnect it so that it was then not syncing just, it wasn't even syncing, but not just that it was just stored as a standalone vault on my Mac, but that it was actually syncing to Dropbox. So yeah, I did did notice that too. Yeah. 
And then I am looking at the one password website. It's three dollars for one person, mm-hmm. five dollars for families. Okay. Yep. So um is it okay if I go and share my experience? Yep. yep. You- so it, it took me a long time to get to where I'm at, and that's not that's not the fault of, of one password per se, but I've just got a lot going on and I have it engineered very differently than a lot of people. I think I'm just kind of an edge case, so I, I try to keep that in mind as I as I go through this stuff. My biggest struggle was I think I think I was just trying to do too much with it at the time and in the conversion process because I have like thousands of pieces of information because I'm managing myself, which I have a lot, and then my family members. And then I'm also helping just like you. I'm helping my husband with his work vault. And I'm, I also have – there's a few select clients where I have like some of their passwords for troubleshooting and you know assistance and stuff. And then, like you brought up the executive of the will thing, I am slowly kind of becoming a digital executive for, you know, certain family members, certain people. Um, There are people that are asking me, like giving me consent, you know, asking me if I will keep this information for them so that that I can help them later or, you know, whatever. Um, You know, like you said, with family, it was just kind of time. And we're now doing that with our parents. So, like, I'm trying to set it up for my mom. I already have it kind of set up for my dad. So I am, in effect, the digital executor for that. They have their information, but I have a copy of it. And um, it was really getting tedious, like with my dad, for example, because I want him to have his own agency. Like I want him to be able to do it himself. And of course, he you know really just does want to learn it, but he doesn't mind that I, you know, he wants me to have the information too. But then if a password had to get changed, then it's not synchronizing, you know, because we weren't using a Dropbox. We were doing something where he just has it synced to his iCloud because he only has an iPhone. He doesn't have any other computer. He doesn't need the subscription service necessarily because he doesn't log into any other device. He's only using an iPhone. But then it gets sticky where, like, like I said, if something changes, then it's not getting synced to me. And like, there was a time when I had him using Dropbox because I was, you know, actively helping him out with it to kind of, it was like training wheels, trying to get him to, you know, to learn it, try to teach him. And then what happened was he forgot, he didn't, he never, he didn't know what Dropbox was. That's my fault because I should have really explained it a little bit more or I should have, you know, talked about it more frequently. And so he let it lapse. <laughs> so his Dropbox account went defunct and I had to luckily... I I forget, I was helping him out with something and it was months after the fact, but I ended up having to log into his Gmail account to help him with something that he asked me for. And I, and I saw the notice and I said, dad, I said, you're getting these emails from Dropbox saying that they're going to delete your account. And he's like, well, I don't know what that is. I'm like, oh, so I had to go and reinstate it. Luckily I caught it in time uh, because I said, you know, it was like a morning warning that was like, you know, in three months from now, there was a, a countdown. So I caught it in time, was able to reinstate it. And then I was like, okay, this is not a good solution. So I changed it from Dropbox to iCloud. But then that meant that I was, you know, kind of cut off from it. So what we had been doing and what we still doing until I set up this new thing is whenever there's a change or if I need to share something with him, I text it to him and then he imports it. I'm doing that with my with another family member too. So that gets tedious. Um, like what you were saying with the Dropbox thing, because I had, I originally had this all set up very similarly to how it is with 1Password for families, but I was using Dropbox. Now, this was from back in the day before, even before they even utilized iCloud. Dropbox was one of the very first, it was for a lot of apps and a lot of services. Dropbox was the 
de facto um, syncing service for a lot of these things. And so I've been using it that long. So I had all these Dropbox vaults set up. And just like what you were describing, oh, my God, it was like so painful to when I needed to make a change or, you know, trying to share something with my husband, we'd have to like wait and refresh it. And yeah, it was just that I don't miss that at all. (laughs) So I had to re-engineer it. I had to take what I had set up and kind of recreate it and move stuff around to re-engineer it so that it's now all in one password for families with shared vaults. Now, this is what's interesting. So one of the, the, the issues that I had, and in case anybody else is having this problem too, um, I think you know, there's kind of a common theme between you and me and your son is that we were all using the standalone version on the Mac. And, you know, I started out with, you know, gosh, what, four, two or four or something like that. And, you know, it's been up, upgraded subsequently. And I think that there's an issue maybe with the um, the license file or something, because I know there was a time where I ended up having to I couldn't delete version four because version four needed to talk to version six to make sure that it knew that, you know, you were already a customer and that sort of thing. But what I had to do was and I don't remember if I just. I must have read it in a forum. I ended up having to zip that file because I wasn't supposed to delete it, but I needed to keep it on my system. And plus, you know, too, I have a hard time letting go of things sometimes. So I zipped it. So there was that. And then when I did this, it's in effect converting your license. So, you know, you're still using the same software, but the licensing has changed. So I think there's something within that that's that might be causing a hiccup for some people. And so for me, what was happening on the Mac is it kept freezing. I kept getting the spinning beach ball. And it was like, it was just painful trying to to do all this stuff. I really needed to push it because I had all these vaults and all these people to manage, right? And so I did reach out to 1Password on Twitter. They got back to me and they gave me, the advice that they gave me worked. They said, try installing the beta version. And I used to do that all the time. And I thought, okay, I'm not shy. So I did that and that's what fixed it. So I think that there's going to be, you know, there's pending an update and that will probably fix all those problems. Because as soon as I... As soon as I installed the beta version, then all the problems went away. No more beach balling. I, it was fast. It was snappy. Because for a while there, I was like, this isn't any better than Dropbox. It's still taking a long time. But, you know, so now that problem is fixed. That is much, much better. And so now I was able to make a lot more progress. So that is working on the iPhone app. Like you said, your son was having an issue with it. It's working fine. It, it's working for what I needed to do on the iPhone. However, there are still... Prime, um, there's a primary vault and there's still another shared vault that I had created that became a standalone vault within my iPhone version. So what I'm pretty sure I need to do is once I make sure that everything is working how I expect it, I'm still you know making sure that everything's all all organized, I will then delete the app and reinstall it and then resynchronize everything, okay? Because what happens is, and I can reproduce this problem each and every time, I should submit a, a job ticket, but I think I just need to, I just need to delete it and reinstall it is all I need to do. So I don't want to, you know, go through the hassle of it, but I can't delete those standalone vaults, even though I want to. So that's been a problem. Um, when I do that, once I have everything organized and I reinstall the app and I resync everything, I'm going to have to do the resyncing of the Dropbox, because right now I have a couple. I have you you and I are sharing one, and then I have one that I share with somebody at a school. So there's still going to be a case for Dropbox shared vaults because not everybody has a 1Password account. Not everybody wants to pay for it. Not everybody, you know, they might, they might be completely invested in a different password manager and, 
you know, how can you fault them? I mean, they they like what they like. So I think for that reason, there's I hope that there will always be this intermediary uh, option to be able to sync Dropbox faults for those people who, um, you know, and, and it might be that, you know, they, they get the app for free and they're, you, you know, you're syncing a Dropbox vault with them and they are also using a different password manager, but they, you know, start using the one that you told them to use. And they're like, oh, I think I like this better. And then they'll convert. So, I mean, I'm hoping that that, you know, that's kind of the case for keeping Dropbox around. So there's that. So, and then once that's done, then I think what I will do is um, delete, just so that I, everything's fresh, I think I will delete the 1Password app on my Mac and then reinstall it and then resynchronize everything. So hopefully you can follow that along. But that is my my plan, uh, what I plan to do. Um I am getting other family members set up. Uh, I still have to set up my son. (laughs) And the only thing that's holding that back is that he's a teenager. So it's like really hard to pry his device out of his hand. Um, That's going to become a problem because I have stopped. I shouldn't have. I stopped syncing the Dropbox account with his because my intention was that I was going to go set it up. Well, he's now, you know, probably saved another 10 passwords or, you know, information in there. So duplication is going to be an issue. So I'm going to have to go and, you know, copy the whole model in there and then delete all the duplicates and, you know, compare the the modification dates. So I need to do that sooner rather than later. Um, 1Password 6 still does. uh, This is another thing I love about 1Password is that just like I said that there's still a very legitimate case for Dropbox vaults, there's still a very legitimate case for legacy devices. So, for example, one of my family members has an old Mac that's running El Capitan, and I was able to, um, for free, because they don't have that many, I was able to install 1Password 6 on there just for the purposes of being able to sync it through iCloud. Um, and I don't know if you've tried this or not, but from the Mac app, whichever version it is, you can print a hard copy. Now, I don't re- recommend using hard copies only because, you know, things change and then the hard copy doesn't update, obviously. But for people who are, you know, really on the fence and they're just, this is their introduction to it, that's what I've done for certain family members who I'm, I'm really just trying to, like, you know, get them used to the idea. They still have to have their, their paper. So I set up their 1Password and then I print out their entire, you know, database. And then I tell them now, just, you know, use this for looking up just so that you have this like kind of a security blanket in a way. And then I try to wean them off of it. You know, once things change, I said, see, now that didn't get updated on the paper, did it? You know, that that kind of thing. So that's another little uh, step that I've been taking. Let's see what else. Um, looking through my notes here. The the QR code is really great. Um, when you when you set up a 1Password uh, subscription, they give you what's called an emergency kit. And you should immediately save that somewhere safe and then print out a a hard copy of it. I just said I don't like using paper, but this is one of those cases where you still need to have a hard copy of it. Now, the PDF that they give you, what I like to do first is before printing that out, there is a space where you're supposed to hand write your master password in there. I go and annotate the PDF and I use like the courier font or, you know, some font that you can very easily distinguish the difference between an L and a one, you know, try to pick a font that you can really tell the, dif- the difference. And I I type out what the master password is in a really bright, you know, color or something. And I put that on the PDF and then I save it. And then that's what I print out. And then that's what I store in a lockbox in a safe. So that is my suggestion for that. Now, I I did have a tip that I discovered that this is what's working for me when it comes to 
being kind of the the family manager, like I'm the admin. I also made my husband the admin. So I, that was a question I had for you. Um, are you the only manager, or did you also make your son the? You know, are you co-managers no. of this? You should. No, because, I'm the manager. Because if something does happen to you, then he needs to be able to have access to that. Doesn't mean he has to use it. Doesn't mean he has to use the powers that you bestow to him. But there should be someone else that is also designated as an administrator of the family account. Well, we have Makes each sense? we have each other's logins. Okay, okay. But I still think well, we'll have to investigate that. But I just know that when when I was looking around, that I was like, yeah. I better make my husband also a manager because then there was like you know yeah, for example there was a vault for his work that i wanted him to manage but i still wanted to get a copy of it because so, because sometimes i need his his school id to like help him with something so there's there's all these different ways that you can share information this is what i decided to do so i made both my husband and i manage those of it i'm like the main manager i'm the one who actually does the administration but my husband has the option to be able to do the administration if something happens to me and just like you, you know, we have each other's fingerprints on our phones. We have each other's um, master passwords, that sort of thing. There's always like you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket is basically, you know, basically what I'm where I'm going with this. And so when it comes to the family members, then, you know how when you first start out, you get a you automatically you automatically get a shared vault for the whole family. And that's for like, you know, the Netflix password, the Hulu password, stuff that everybody in the family will share and then you each get a private vault, okay? What I decided to do was instead of, like, especially for the kids, now I would do it for, I did it for my husband just because, you know, he likes it when I help him. He wants me to help him. So I do it this way for for all of us. And also like for my mom and my dad, um, what I do is I set up a, I set up a separate vault with their name on it. In fact, you can even upload like an avatar. Like I use their contact photo. You can choose from the little, you know, they have little icons that you can choose from. So you can make them, you know, different colors if you wanted to so that you can just see. But I just make a vault with each person's name on it. So like, you know, I even have one for my sister because sometimes she asks me for help. Um, and then what I do is, you know, I put their picture on it. And then what I do is I invite them. So for my kids, like I, I sent an invitation to my son. And then I went in, you know, I did it all and I accepted the invitation. And then I, I verified it. Um, I forget what the word is that they use. But then... Um, then I shared that vault with him. So like, say, for example, Keegan, I made a Keegan vault. I invited him, created him a 1Password account, uh, accepted the invitation. And then as the administrator, I went and I validated that. And then on his devices, then I make that the vault that, you know, in the settings, you, you can choose, you know, when you, whenever you save a new password, let's say you create a new login, where is it going to go? By default, it goes to your private vault. But because he's a little kid yet, like he's not mature enough to be able to handle that responsibility. So I have it set to go to his Keegan vault and I uncheck the private vault. So he's not going to be every time I create a new account for something to do a school, it's going to go in his Keegan vault and not his private vault. When he's old enough then, like, you know, say in the future, he turns 18, he's responsible enough for this stuff, and I don't need to be responsible for it, or, you know, he has, you know, things that are private that he doesn't, you know, when he when he's mature enough to, to have his own, you know, privacy, then I'll move all of that stuff into his private vault, and then I won't need to share that vault anymore, or if there's something he does want me to have access to, you know what I mean? So there are ways within the settings that you can designate 
which vault is the default vault that all new things get saved to. And you can also designate which of the vaults in your list show up when you click the All Vaults button. So for example, I have um, a vault that I use for work that is passwords that I don't really need to access on on, on a daily basis. Um, it might be a bunch of stuff that, like, like I said, I'm a digital executor for some people. I might have those all stored in that vault. I don't want to keep seeing... Their, their names pop up. I don't want to keep seeing, you know, this is a project, a website that I'm doing with somebody. I don't need to keep seeing that every time I go to Google to log in. So I uncheck those vaults. Okay, so I'm very uh, picky about what gets stored in which vault and then which vaults I have checked so that they show up in the list. Like right now, for example, I have um, my mother-in-law, I made a vault for her. And we are trying, when I say we, I mean I, I'm trying to get her a vaccination appointment, right? She's she's not quite old enough for the for everybody that's getting vaccinated. So it's really tough and you have to keep relogging in, you have to keep refreshing the page. So when I need to do that, I just I make her vault visible to my list and then when I go to log into the medical portal because I also have one, now hers will also show up in there as something that I can select and then I can just log in and refresh the page. So I just keep that turned on right now because that's something that's actively ongoing. When I no longer need to do that, or if it was, you know, say a client or a project, then I can just uncheck that vault. So I really love those features where you can very systematically select and deselect. You can designate what goes to which vault if it's shown in your list, if it's something you just need to click on and then, you know, access it that way um, for your family members so that now when the kids and my husband are saving stuff and then they need me to help out with it, I can do it from my computer. I don't have to go to their device because everything is all shared. So that was the tip that I wanted to share about that, because I don't know that that's very obvious to a lot of people, because, you know, these these applications, I mean, they're set up so beautifully, and they're all kind of like, you know, let's just set it up this way by default, and then people won't have to think about it. Well, I like to tinker, and I like to pick around in that stuff, and that's what I discovered was, oh, well, I can do it this way. And then that way, that solves the problem of if my kids save new passwords, and then I need to somehow, like, log into their school account or something, if it's in their private vault, then I don't have access to it. So I changed that. So I made it so that their private vault is not their default vault. Does that make sense? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've looked into the settings and seen all that stuff, but I just wanted people to know that that is an option. Okay, let me take a look at my notes real quick and see. I think I got through most everything that I wanted to do. Um, you do still have the option of creating standalone vaults. And, you know, that would be for, say, people who work for a type of business where you're not allowed to sync anything to the cloud. I mean, that's definitely a thing. I mean, there are definitely people who just really, nope, mm -mm -mm. they have security clearance, like they cannot store anything in any kind of a cloud. And what's nice about that is you can create a standalone vault that doesn't touch the cloud. It's only stored on your hard drive. And you can turn on, um, I think it's called the... The LAN, the WAN sync or something. There's there's a way that you can sync it over your your wi- like your private network. So just in your home. I mean, of course, you know everything would be locked down. You probably use a VM, uh, uh, VPN, something like that. But in the settings, under yes, there's uh, WLAN server. That is an option. So if you have a standalone vault that you don't want in the cloud, you go into the preferences. You you enable the WLAN server. It, there's a checkbox that says run a WLAN server from this Mac to sync with iOS and Android devices. You turn that on 
You choose which of the standalone vaults that you want to sink. So say it's just one that, you know, is, you know, for high security clearance. And then you can sync that with your devices wirelessly over your private uh protected network and it doesn't go into the cloud. So if there's any people, you know, I just want to mention that because sometimes there's people who are really on the fence about doing this and I wanted them to know that there is an option for those type of vaults that you don't want in the cloud, you can still do that. That was standalone vaults and I talked about the private versus the shared vaults. So I think that's that covers what I wanted to discuss. And I know we're kind of going long on this, but it was a really important topic that we wanted to cover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have other things to talk about, but we'll save that for next time. So there's Melissa, always something. If people wanted to get in <laughs> yeah, if people want to get in touch with us, how would they do so? They can do so a couple of different ways. They can contact us. Our email address is a podcast at ever. And they can reach out to us on Twitter, and our handle there is at Geekiest Show. Of course, you can go to our website, geekiestshowever.com, and leave us a comment. And did I miss anything? Did I get them all? No, I think you got it. But I do want to mention before we say our final goodbye that we did get some feedback from listener Andy. And oh, yay! He, yay! He told us that. He received his iPad Air in January, and he really loves it, and he has nothing bad to say about it. The only thing he would like to change is he'd like it to have Face ID. Ah, But otherwise, Mm -hmm. he's very happy with it, and he's using the keyboard case for it, and he really likes that, too. So thank you, Andy, for getting in touch. Great. Thanks, Andy. It was easy. Every time I look at my iPad, I'm going to think of Andy. Oh, I wish this had Face ID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So thanks a lot, Andy, for getting in touch. And please, people, be like Andy. Yes, be like Get Andy. Get in touch. We would love to hear from you. Um, you know, yeah, we want to hear from you. Even if it's just to say hi, uh, follow us on face, uh, Facebook. Don't follow us on Facebook. <laughs> follow us on Twitter. Someday, maybe. You know, you know, have the conversation there. We'd love show ideas or people that you'd like us to interview. We already have a list going, but we'd love to add more. So definitely check out the show notes. Thank you. I'm going to put some links to some of the stuff that we talked about in the show notes. So please check those Mm -hmm. out. And all of our contact information will be there as well. Just go to geekyshowever.com. So with that, we thank you so much for listening. Please stay safe. And we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. everybody, this is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, Uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network.